calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. This week, heading out to the outer reaches of space. It's episode 494 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and in case you haven't seen it yet, Beacon 23 has premiered on MGM+. Plus. It's a really interesting sci-fi series and have executive producer Glenn Mazzara with me this week to talk about it. And, you know, if you haven't had a chance to see it yet, maybe you figure out why you want to check it out in the first place on MGM+. Plus. We'll give you some good insight into that. And I'll actually give you my insight into the premiere as well now that we've kind of gone through that. So we'll talk to Glenn, give you my thoughts on the premiere as well. Spoiler free, of course, because I don't want to mess that up for you. Also going to be talking about Loki season two finale. I'll do that this week. The strike is over. I'm finally going to get a chance to talk about that. I'll recap some of the stuff that happened during Netflix's Geeked Week, which happened this past week as well. So many, so many exciting things happening. And, you know, I'm just psyched. And maybe it's because the strike is over. I don't know. But I'm just psyched to get to this week's show, so let's do it. Glenn Mazzara joins me this week. Let's talk about Beacon 23 next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Blair Redford from The Gifted, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, Glenn, we got Beacon 23 coming out on November the 12th on MGM+. Plus. Really excited about it. It feels like there's a lot of mystery going on with the show. There's a mystery with your characters. There's a mystery with the Beacon itself as well. So how do you kind of balance all of those things together so you don't have like too much mystery going on for the viewer at once? That's a great question. Thank you for asking. I think, you know, first and foremost, this is a character drama, you know, and when we do, when you see a lot of shows set in deep space, they usually play as, you know, epics dancing around some coming war. Okay. That's not this. This is two people stuck in a lighthouse on the edge of the galaxy. You know, now what are they doing there? Why are they there? Who brought them there? That kind of stuff that will play out. But ultimately, you know, this is a different take. You know, this is this is kind of a, a smaller kitchen drama, you know, where people are literally we have scenes of them arguing in the kitchen. So it's it's you know, it's about the characters where we're blessed to have, you know, Lena Hetty and Stefan James, two terrific leads, you know, great actors. And I think, you know, the mystery all comes together. Trust me, I've done shows before and and I know how genre fans are. They're tough. <laughs> they want to know it's got they, they want to know there's a plan. Trust me, we had so much time 
filming this because we had so many visual effects and everything that we could really fine tune the narrative. So it all comes together. So, it, so I don't want the audience to feel like, oh, they're just throwing this at us or whatever. It all does to come together. But really, I believe, hopefully, people will enjoy the show because of the terrific work that Lena and Stefan did on screen. Oh, and that is very much true. That is from the jump of the first episode. You certainly get that picture for sure. I want to talk about those two for a second, though. I want to talk about Halen. I want to talk about Aster because I feel like there's going to be some trust issues there between the two of them sure. and for viewers as far as so are, do you kind of get that impression too like viewers are going to have to try and figure out who they can trust here and maybe they're going to have a difficult time with that in the early going yeah yeah and and that's that's part of the show you know you don't know who to believe you know everybody has layers and layers to their backstory layers that maybe they don't even understand so it's really for the audience to put together you know the story and to figure out who to trust but right now, you know, these characters have hidden agendas and they're broken and they're traumatized. So, you know, they they maybe have, you know, agendas that are based on, you know, the dynamics of the world around them. But they also have, you know, they really don't have good understandings of their own trauma and what's going on inside them. And as they kind of figure that out, I think they'll they'll both need each other and resent each other because of what you know they're feeling uh, about themselves and about each other so it'll be a very interesting ride I'm, I'm excited to see how the audience feels about it absolutely you talk about this being very character driven and, and it very much is that from what i've seen so far at least mm -hmm. and being set in deep space and all of these things do you feel like kind of making it so encapsulated like you like you said in in one area with these with these characters does that kind of help you avoid maybe some sci-fi tropes that you see in a lot of these kind of genre type shows like you said you know what that is a great question thank you for asking that Yes, I was I'm a huge sci-fi fan. Okay. I read a lot of sci-fi. I've read sci-fi since I was a kid and everything. This is really the first show I'm doing set in space, but I do feel I understand and know sci-fi tropes. And I was very mindful of staying away from those tropes. I think Zach Penn, who, you know, was the creator of the show, also, you know, he's obviously, you know, a huge name in that. So he knows it as well. But as we were going through, I really wanted to be careful to avoid those tropes. I think the audience knows that. I think certain things get tired. And we wanted this to feel as, you know, what would it feel like if you were re really living out in space? And, you know, we, we deal with questions of AI. I think AI, obviously, from, you know, HAL in 2001, Space Odyssey, you know, from you know, all the way on, you know, we've seen these types of characters. So we were very conscious. How do we make it feel real? How do we make it feel different? How do we make it feel fresh? And uh, I feel we succeeded. Absolutely. And you guys will get to see it for yourselves on MGM Plus on November the 12th. That is when Beacon 23 will be premiering. You definitely don't want to miss this one. Executive producer Glenn Mazar, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And really, that's what I got out of this first episode of Beacon 23 was a lot of trust issues and a lot of, you know, where is this thing going to go? And what is the true purpose of this of this beacon? And why is it there? Why is he there? And and, you know what? And again, I don't want to go too much into spoiler territory 
Here's something to be really, really careful. I know this first episode's been out for a while, but maybe, you know, this is the thing that you hear and decide, okay, yeah, l- let me go ahead and check this series out and see where it's going. So figuring out the purpose of the beacon, figuring out where they're going and and what's going on and what this whole, you know, lighthouse thing is and, you know, is who's who do you trust? Do you trust Aster? Do you trust Halen? Who are you trusting here? And, you know... Who's really pulling the strings in this thing, right? Because there's times where I was watching this first episode and I'm like, well, Aster's clearly got some shady stuff going on. But then there's also times where I was watching this episode and be like, well, well, Halen's clearly, you know, been a part of some dirty deeds as well. And then you look at who was in the, you know, who was in the beacon before and well, maybe there was some stuff going on there. As well, so there's a lot of moving parts to this show. The only thing that concerns me is, will they be able to keep it all together and make it make sense in this full first season? So I understand that you know some people are not necessarily digging this thing that have already seen it because the argument is okay. You know, there's there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of moving parts, and not quite sure you know they're able to hold it together. So Beacon Twenty Three. Very, very interesting story. I'm still going to be watching on MGM+. Plus. The, the new episode actually drops on November the 19th. And that's episode three, by the way. So already two episodes in to Beacon 23. And and hey, again, if, you, if you're in it for the trust issues, you just want to see whether you're right or not, then that's cool. But this is, again, at least this one feels like it's a little bit of a fresher sci-fi story. So, hey, I'm interested to see where this thing's going. Again, thanks to Glenn Mazar for joining me to talk about Beacon 23 from MGM+. Plus. Up next, let's talk about the Season 2 finale of Loki. That's next, with some spoilers, too, on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, I'm Simone Missick from Marvel's Luke Cage, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Is the end of time really going to be the end of time? The Season 2 finale of Loki happened uh, you know at this point about a week ago because I was so late doing this friggin show so yeah let's let's just go ahead and dive in through the season two finale of Loki you know I am gonna drop some spoilers here I wasn't gonna but at the same time you know at this point why not so let's do spoiler ish shall we but here's my thing about this finale first of all I'm gonna get the I'm gonna get my my complaining out of the way in the beginning, and don't say how could you possibly complain about this because here's my complaint: the finale was too long. Well, not necessarily too long. My problem with the finale was that they should have definitely not wasted as much time as they did with the loops. And and I say that like I didn't need to see the professor get turned into spaghetti like 60 times to get the point. I also didn't need to see, you know, Loki constantly looping back to get the point of what was going on there. I would have rather seen a longer interaction between Loki and he who remains in those scenes and the scenes with Sophie, um, excuse me, Syl- Sylvie, than I would have with the loops. Uh, so I, I think that they, they did the loops a bit too much. I, you know, I did think it was great. You know, him, him, you know, learning everything that Casey and Obi learned. You know, doing all that. You could have gotten that point across though, without having to loop me seventy times. It seems like so. I, I feel like they could have spent more time and even spent more time 
at the very end, right? And and again, spoilers, by the way, you know, w- with Mobius and him deciding to leave the TVA, I would have liked to seen maybe a little bit more from that. And, you know, what was Sylvie's next step? I would have liked to seen a little bit more from that as well. So I'm the only reason I say it was too long is that I did. So maybe this is, and it's ironic. I, I feel like the time could have been managed a little bit better, I guess is, is where I'm trying to go with that. So that's my, that's really my only gripe because as far as the actual presentation of the episode, I thought it was great. I thought it was really a new, you know, it, it turned the page for the Loki character. It really did. And I know that Tom Hiddleston's been doing interviews and telling everybody to listen that this is kind of the end for him as Loki. And if it really is, I mean, it's kind of a fitting end for him to go out this way where Loki finally realizes his purpose and realizes what he's supposed to be. And it's funny that the God of mischief is going to now be the God that is literally holding things together and holding on by a thread. Literally, several of them on this throne. He's holding on to them and trying to keep the multiverse intact and not infinitely expand, which was the problem in the first place. So I I think there is a little bit of irony there. And I also think it's interesting, too, by the way, that, you know, how many times have we seen in these Thor movies, Thor cannot find his purpose to save his life, right? He He has been trying so hard, seemingly for so long, to try to find his purpose and he just can't quite do it. So now we see that Loki ultimately has found his purpose. And I think that that's, you know, it's interesting that Loki would get there before Thor did. And Loki would turn the corner and turn the page in his life before his brother, who seemingly had it all together. Right. So I, I think that that was kind of a, you know, I, the, an offshoot of what I took from this whole thing as well. But I got to tell you, it. I really hope that we end up revisiting some of these characters. I really hope that we get more OB at some point. I hope we get more Casey at some point. I hope we're not done with Hunter B-15. I thought that the revelation between Mobius and Renslayer in this in this finale about how you know she did the thing that he couldn't sort of thing, I thought that that was an interesting revelation. But watching that dynamic between Loki and Mobius, to me... That's what made this series what it was at its core. It was that relationship between Mobius and Loki. It sort of was just the reason. It wasn't the reason I kept coming back, but it was the reason that this series just felt so good when you were watching it, was was watching these two play off of each other. And maybe it was the chemistry between Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson that did it for me. Maybe it was these characters. I don't know. But just that combination was such a winning combination and shouldn't have been, by the way, you know, uh, polar opposites as far as characters. But at the same time, once you got them together and once things started cooking, it just the, the relationship between the two of them worked so well. And what Mobius ultimately ended up doing for Loki and how that forwarded forwarded, excuse me, his life was just incredible to me. So I, I think that was a huge, huge part of what I loved so much about the series and and what made it so sad at the end, right? When you ultimately get that, and it wasn't even really a goodbye, that's just it. Nobody really got a chance to say goodbye, and that was one of the sadder things about it. Loki just walks out there, you know, right into that radiation and just walks right through it like a boss, by the way. That was like a no-man's-land 
type moment where Loki's just walking through here and, you know, doing what he knows needs to be done to save time and to save these timelines in the first place, which, again, boss move by Loki, but he never gets a chance to say goodbye. You could argue that he does with Mobius and with Sylvie. You could make that argument, I guess, because you do have those scenes with them together, but it didn't feel like a real goodbye to me. Maybe it's more so with Mobius than with Sylvie because it was more of like a, hey, you know, I'm supposed to kill you, not gonna, but, you know, that's what's supposed to happen to make this whole thing work. That's what would make things easier. You know, like, like Loki would have to kill Sylvie. And ultimately, again, spoiler alert, he doesn't. He says he's going to figure out another way. And by the way, he does. And that, again, that is his, you know, that is his final transition from villain to hero, isn't it? Realizing that it can be done another way because villains tend to bulldog their way through things. They're like, this is how it's going to be done because this is my, again, the name of the episode, glorious purpose, right? So that's how I'm going to do things. But sometimes realizing that that glorious purpose can be achieved another way in a better way. And that is what we saw from Loki ultimately in this episode. And we're getting a new version of the TVA as well. The TVA is going to get a fresh start. So I don't think the TVA is going anywhere in the grand scheme of Marvel stories. But there's a lot of question marks here. Like, what do you do with Jonathan Majors? I know the legal stuff is still kind of out there, and we're not quite sure what's going on there. So, you know, how do you manage that? You know, it, what is the, what is the Kang future going forward? And, and Victor Timeline, all these other characters, what is their future going forward based on what we know about his legal issues? And, I and you know, there's rumors as to whether or not, you know, they're going to, go a different route with the future of the MCU because of what's going on there. And, and you know, we still have to wait for this whole thing to play out. But there's also no denying that, you know, these characters were very good. And those scenes with He Who Remains and Loki were incredible in this episode. There is no denying that just purely from a character standpoint. But there was a lot that happened in this series. You know, the TVA was kind of there and then not there for a little bit. We finally got the jet ski moment. We got a very pissed off Miss Minutes that looked like she was going to try and kill everybody. And, you know, maybe she still will. Who knows? But there, there was a lot to be had in this season of Loki. Looks like the story, this particular story could be over, but is the future of these characters over? I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But I think, again, another great series Another great season of Loki. Again, I just wish that the time was managed a little bit better. I would have liked to get a little more of one thing and not the loop stuff. But, you know, time loops drive me crazy. Uh, and I'm the first to admit that. Time loops were a pet peeve for me. And the fact that they went to that well maybe a little bit more than they should have in this episode. I get it. It was a few minutes. Maybe I'm nitpicking. I don't care. But, again, still a fantastic episode of Loki. Really, really glad that they put this put the season together so so well it's gonna do it for my spoiler ish review of the loki season two or maybe even series finale who knows at this point up next there's a lot of nerd news to get to including the sag after deal also netflix's geeked week and plenty more let's talk about it next i'm james with this is the down and nerdy podcast this week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside with the kids recently. And yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning 
to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. This is Brett Bassinger from DC Star Girl, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The strike is over. It's time for nerd news. I know that it's like a week old or whatever. And I've been struggling to get these shows out on time, quite frankly. So, damn it, I'm going to talk about it now. Yes, the SAG after strike is finally over after almost four months of striking against the studios. A deal was reached. One of the bigger parts of the deal was the sweeping AI protections, with which I think everybody inside and outside of the union wanted. This whole AI thing is, was I'm not going to say it's the reason that this happened in the first place, but certainly one of the major catalysts to this was AI. And I'm not going to talk about all of the details uh, of what was agreed to in this thing because I think that you've either probably read it already or you don't need me to sit here and dictate it to you. What I'm going to do is give you my reaction, not just to these last several months, but also what things could look like going forward. Or My, my, my opinion is things look like going forward. The effects of this strike, just because it's over, the effects are not going to be over for a little bit yet. Because, yes, the strike is over. Yes, people are getting back to work. But it's not one of those It's not one of those jobs, right, where if you've got certain striking workers in, in labor positions, okay, tomorrow you could go back to work, right? If you were, like, say, and this is a, maybe a poor example, but I don't care. Let's say, like, the UPS drivers, right? If the UPS drivers had gone on strike and their strike, from what I can remember, was averted. If they had gone on strike, you know, obviously, you're not driving the truck if you're on strike. But the second that the strike is over, you go back to wherever you were working from. You can hop back in your truck and start delivering packages again, right? But when you're an actor or an actress, and and I'm no actor or actress, okay? I understand that. But at the same time, it's not just one of those jobs where you can just hop in the car and go on to set and be like, all right, let's go. There's more to it than that. Now, you can get back to work with certain things, right, like auditions, and you can you know, do table reads, and you, know, you can get in there and things like that, and you can start getting the process going again for certain productions. But it's not like cameras are going to be rolling the second that the picket signs go down. So we're still going to see delays. We're still going to see projects maybe canceled or not canceled, like we saw the, the Wiley Coyote versus Acme project. It was axed by Warner Brothers, and now they're going to allow those filmmakers to shop that movie to possibly to other studios, which I think is interesting. That's a whole other deal, but, but we're going to still see things like this happening. 
We're still going to see projects that aren't quite going to make it. We're still going to see projects that are going to get delayed. We could see a whole bunch of different shifts and things. So just because it's over doesn't necessarily mean it's over, over. I do think it's interesting, though, that one, one of the first things that happened after the strike ended was actors going on social media, A, celebrating it, and B, first of all, Kevin Bacon, well done. Second of all, it was like photo dump after photo dump of here's all the stuff I couldn't share and, and tell you why I was excited about during the strike, but here's all these like behind-the-scenes photos from shows and movies that we were a part of and all of these other things that were going on during the strike that we couldn't do anything about while the strike was going on. So I loved that we got that kind of stuff out there. It was a big, you know, like a big celebration week of, of photo dumps and videos and behind-the-scenes stuff and stuff like that. And it seems like everybody's excited to get back to work as they should be because at the end of the day, they love what they do. That's one of the reasons they were striking in the first place. And that's, you know, that's something that kind of gets lost in all of this is that, yes, they were striking for a reason and it was a darn good one, but it's still, they still didn't get to do what they loved to do on a daily basis because of the strike. And now that you're, now that you're back, it's almost like, you know, this could almost be re-energizing as well, too, right? I'm not saying that everybody doesn't give it their all every day at their job. Not saying that at all. What I am saying is, is that, you know, there's certain things that can light a spark on you, right? Like when you're watching sports and your team's either playing, playing well, not playing well, all of a sudden something happens and the momentum changes, right? This could be one of those things that, you know, re-energizes you, makes you really want to hit the ground running, get back to work. And what we could see out of this is some of the best work we've seen in a while from actors and some of it's been darn good but at the same time imagine not being able to do it for like three or four months all of a sudden you're back on the horse again and it feels so good that you're giving it a little extra right you kind of you know that that energy's back not only because you're back to work after several months but also because you just basically won the day right you got you got what you wanted out of the strike maybe not everything but they certainly got a lot of the things that that they'd been worried about over the years and won't have to worry about for the next three years, hopefully, because that's when the next negotiation starts back up. The contract is for three years. So we might actually see, you know, this galvanize some folks and really, really get things rolling as as to, you know, them them really, really wanting to be at the top of their game and really being really excited to get back to work. And it's a tough job, man. It really, really is. The The hours that you have to put in, the time, the care, the things that you have to do that, you know, you don't see in the finished product you know, tangibly, you're not seeing it on the screen, but it's there, all the work that these actors and actresses and have to do, and it's just incredible that how they're able to do what they do and do it so well. So I think that we can all be super happy that the strike is over. I think we're all super happy that things are going to get back to normal. I guess you could kind of still put that in air quotes a little bit because, you know, it's never really normal, is it? Of course it's not. There's always going to be something to talk about. But at the same time, we're getting back to business as usual, if nothing else. Again, it's going to be a slow roll a little bit for these cameras, but they are everything is moving in motion again. You know, hey, got to get to talk to some actors again about some great stuff, which I'm really excited about to be able to bring you those interviews again as well. So really excited for that. But just let's celebrate the fact that this thing's finally over and we can finally start talking about this amazing stuff again and everything can kind of go back to the way that it was, but better for everybody 
involved. So props to the actors for their resolve. Props to the, again to the writers, by the way, not just for getting their deal, but for continuing to support the actors in their efforts after the fact as well. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens from this. We'll see how quickly the positive effects of this can be felt by, you know, us, the fan, us, the viewer, us, the consumer, you know, what, what are the, when are we going to see some of the positive effects of this as well? Because it does affect, it does affect the average fan. It does affect, you know, a lot of us as well, because, you know, dollars and cents wise, this could certainly affect us as far as how much stuff costs as well, because the studios could end up, you know, being jerks about it and trying to raise prices on stuff because of, because of everything that happened. Again, Something to keep an eye on way down the road, but happy for the actors that they got what they were looking for. And so, so happy that we get to just be happy, talk about movies and TV again. So, so excited for that. Now let's take a look at some of the stuff that happened during Geeked Week. That is Netflix's annual celebration of all things nerdy. It's one of my favorite things that they do all year, actually. And, and, you know, for selfish reasons, of course. But I'm not going to go through everything because it was like four or five days worth of stuff and I'm actually not going to touch on the Rebel Moon stuff either and it has nothing to do with Zack Snyder and everything to do with I mean I feel like we've been building for the for this movie for so long now and there's ads running on TV and everything so you know eventually you know once we get closer to Rebel Moon we'll dive into that a little bit more but I did want to talk about Avatar The Last Airbender we finally get a full teaser for that and we know it's going to be coming out on February the 22nd of 2024 pretty much all the stuff is coming out in 2024, actually, and story-wise, we don't get a lot. We just get a lot of visuals for this thing. And I know that this isn't the first live-action representation of this mo- of this character, so it's not like it's that wow factor of seeing the character for the first time, right? I get that, but at the same time, this one just felt different for some reason to me. Visually, they certainly went all out. To make this thing look really, really good. I think that Aang looks really good. I think some of the other characters look really good as well. And this one, I don't know. That's the thing, though. That's the thing that always gives me a little bit of pause when it comes to Netflix. Is that they've had plenty of stuff that looks great, right? Especially in trailers and stuff. It's like, wow. This looks really, really good. And then all of a sudden you get to the actual show itself. And you're like... Yeah, it looks good, but, you know, where's the story? Where's all these other things? So that's the one thing that I have that concerns me is that, you know, these things always seem to look good on the surface. And then once you start getting in the meat of things, eh, not so much. So, yes, it looks great. It has all the beats that you want it to have. The, the cast is certainly amazing. And there's certainly a lot of pieces there before we even get started, right? But you can't know for sure until you, we get a little bit more of a trailer on this thing. Because the trailer, you, you have to admit, even the trailer was like visuals, 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 and there's like a narration and all this stuff. So you don't really get an idea of what's really going on. But if you're an Avatar fan, because I wasn't a huge Avatar fan either. So I'm curious to see what you know diehard Avatar fans think of this first look. And hey, I can understand why you would be entering this thing a little bit cautiously based on past experience. So... I get it, but let's, you know, let's keep going a little bit here and see what happens. Code 8 Part 2 is also going to be coming in 2024. Remember, that is from Robbie and Stephen Amell. This was the one that was, the first movie was fan-funded. They got it made. It was really good. Of course, it follows 
a you know it follows people with special powers which are illegal by the way and there's this militarized police force that sort of you know goes after them and you know comes again powers against the law and using your powers are against the law so part two of this thing you've got Connor Reed who is Robbie Amell's character back with Stephen Amell's character and I think is I you know it's funny because I don't remember his actual name but I know that like on IMDB it's G 109, I know that he has a name in this thing, and I can't friggin' remember. Garrett, that's his name, Garrett. That There we go. I knew it was going to come to me eventually. So, it's Connor and Garrett. And remember, they don't really get along. That's something that you need to remember if you if you don't remember from the last one. It's not like they get along great. As a matter of fact, at one point, it seemed like they were trying to kill each other. But now it seems like they're back working together again. And remember, the only reason that Connor was working with Garrett in the first place was because he was trying to get money for his family. And that just sort of started working out. So the second movie is actually going to be following somebody who tries to get justice for her brother who was killed by these, you know, militarized police officers. So now she gets help from Garrett and Connor to do just that. So it's almost like they turn from petty criminals to, I guess, vigilantes, I guess, heroes, depending on how you put it. And again, this is one where you can definitely tell that there's an increased budget for this sucker once you've got Netflix involved here. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that either, by the way, going from fully fan-funded to being funded by Netflix. I'm not saying that the movie's going to be any better just because there's more money, but it's certainly those resources I think can really, really help with the visuals, and that's kind of what Netflix does. If you've already got your story and stuff figured out, then you bring in a bigger paycheck to be able to get the visuals down. I think that that's something that definitely you know check off as a plus so yeah code eight part two going to be coming in 2024 no specific date for that just yet probably one of the more recent things that's going to be coming out is masters of the universe revolution of course the animated series which is the continuation of revelation which was the continuation of the original he made an animated series and man they are throwing everything at this store at this at this season it seems like we're going to have that tech version of Skeletor. Yes, Scareglow is going to be a much bigger part of this season. And then we're finally going to get Hordak and the Horde. Now, I was kind of hoping we'd maybe see She-Ra pop up in this trailer. Didn't get to see that. Not sure if She-Ra is going to be a part of this thing or not. That's kind of a wait and see type deal. But yeah, I th- this one coming up in January. Again, I always liked the look of it. But I think pushing the story forward, bringing Hordak into this thing, and kind of almost having like a, and you know, I don't want to, you know, get too far ahead of myself, but having like a Legion of Doom type feel to it, right? Because you're going to have Skeletor, you're going to have Scareglow, and you're going to have Hordak. They're going to be a part of this thing, and Skeletor on his own was already hard to deal with. You know, his evolving powers all the time, certainly hard to deal with. But you bring Hordak and the Horde into this thing, yeah. You're going to have some problems in Attorney and beyond. So this one, oh, I'm already a He-Man fan anyway. Yeah, this one really, really has me excited based on this latest look. We're also going to have a new Witcher animated movie, The Witcher Sirens of the Deep, which is going to be coming in late 2024, so you're going to have to wait a bit for this. Biggest news from this thing is that Doug Cockle is going to be back as the voice of Geralt, and that is huge. You bring the voice of the games into the series, and that automatically 
makes fans feel, whether this is the case or not, it automatically makes fans feel, oh, they care about this property. They, they clear, you know, having that connection again between the game and the, and the movies, that is really, really good. So that was really smart on their part to go out and get him for this. But it also has kind of a Atlantean-type feel to it, like Atlantis versus the world sort of thing. It's the typical, you know, Witcher, we've got a monster problem sort of thing. And then all of a sudden you sort of find out that there's these Atlantean people that are involved in this thing as well, and it's like, you know, we're, you know, we don't want to have a war, preventing a war with the surface, blah, blah, blah. So it seems like there's a little bit of, eh, there, it gives me a little bit of pause as to hopefully the story's a little bit more inventive than that, because we've seen that a billion times in a billion different ways. So I'm sure there's going to be more to it, and it explores more of the continent anyway, so I'm all for that already. I just hope they have a different spin on it, but Studio Mirror part of this thing as well, making it look really, really good. I mean, I actually thought that the last animated Witcher movie was probably one of the better things that they've done in this Witcher-verse anyway. So I think the animated stuff I almost almost look more forward to than the live-action stuff. I know, call me crazy, right? But that's, you know, that's how I feel. And so that one's going to be coming out in late 2024. Really quickly, I wanted to talk about this because I didn't get a chance to talk about the trailer the last time it came out. But it was Tomb Raider, The Legend of Laura Croft, which is the anime series that's going to be coming to Netflix. I'm guessing this will probably be late 2024 as well. Now, they only released, like, the sketch of Laura Croft, right, when, when they were doing Geeked Week. But, man, alive am I excited for this one because it just looks like it's going to be a balls-to-the-walls, action-packed series. I'm so excited that they decided to do this in animation because, again, doesn't matter. Right, you're, you're, as far as you know, set pieces and effects and stuff like that. When you do animation, it makes all that stuff so much easier to present without you know blowing the budget out the window. Now, this might be a little bit later than 2024. We'll have to wait and see because they didn't put a specific date on it. But I like I like Laura Croft's look. The when you go back to the trailer that was released a few weeks ago, again, it just looked like the action was going to be all there and yes you're gonna have to have a good story still i understand that but i just wanted this thing to be you know don't get caught up in the story either that's just it sometimes things just have to be what they are and you know go with what brought you to the dance so hopefully this one is as action-packed and thrilling too as the games that's the thing even like these when the the two games when they did the reboot several years ago what they did was they brought in a great story, but they also made it just so, like, you're on the edge of your seat playing this thing. That was one of the things I loved about the newer Tomb Raider games. So let's do that with these too, right? So you can tell that good story without getting too caught up in it. Give me those visuals. Give me those little idiosyncrasies from the games because you can absolutely pull that off with the time that you have. So really just a hugely successful Geek Week. There were so many other things that I didn't get a chance to talk about. Well, when it comes to Geek Week, I'll talk about those you know, as their release dates get closer and things like that. But man, just so many awesome things coming out of Geek Week. I also wanted to talk about some other trailers as well. Season 2 of Reacher going to be coming back to Prime Video. That is going to be on December the 15th. And yes, we have everybody back in the pool for this one, which is good. But this is going to be a different Reacher because it's going to be a little bit more personal for Jack Reacher this time around, where it's kind of like, remember in season one, he was sort of 
brought in. He was sort of dragged in to the situation, right? This one goes and hits him right at home because basically his military special investigations unit, one of them is mysteriously killed and it seems like the others are being hunted down. So, of course, he's going to jump in to help his army unit and find out what's going on. But what this does bring in to the fold is his old army unit. And it's and it's funny because it sort of brings a different tone and a different vibe to the series because, you know, it brings a little, you know, some of them have a little bit of a lighter personality and some of them, you know, just bring out different aspects of the Reacher character. But at the same time, hey, you've still got the kick-ass Jack Reacher. Alan Richin is still doing his thing as Reacher. And I, I, I like that they made it a little bit more personal this time. And I like that they're giving it a little bit of a different edge. Now, this is based on the book Bad Luck and Trouble. If you're looking for which Jack Reacher book this one's going to be based off of, it is that one. So, you know, of course, loosely based, right? So keep that in mind if you're a Jack Reacher fan anyway. That's what they're kind of adapting here. So, yeah, Reacher Season 2, that's going to be coming on December the 15th. Yes, I am going to talk about the Garfield movie trailer. All right, let's do that. Summer of 2024. I know what you're thinking already. This is going to be coming from Sony. Yeah, okay, Chris Pratt is Garfield. All right, and I'm just going to throw this out here right now. And they are, and they've made this. First of all, they made this very clear from this first trailer. Okay, this is not the Garfield that you grew up with. All right, this is clearly not. And even when they did all of those movies, I think they did what three Garfield live action ish movies. That those were not the Garfields you grew up with either. This one definitely not. And by the way, again, also I think this is worth pointing out. This is clearly, clearly aimed at kids. Okay, so don't be one of those adults that says, you ruined my childhood, blah, 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 blah. It's not for you, okay? If you want to go see it with your kids and just love the fact that you're getting more Garfield, that's totally understandable. But don't rip this thing just because it's not what you remember. It's it's never going to be Garfield and Friends, okay? It's just not. It's not going to be the comic strips anymore. They're not going to... You can't do that in 2023 slash 2024, whatever, because it doesn't come out to 2024, but you can't do that now. It just doesn't work now for today's kids. Okay, so you have to kind of push that aside. But I do like the animation style, and I do like that we're kind of getting the, you know, the the very very origin of Garfield as they see it. Right, you get to see how they he meets John for the first time, and you know, there's some sad circumstances, and he gets him off the street, and all those things, and and then you know, the eating starts, and all, and you get to see that <laughs> you get to see that part of Garfield. Odie seems a little bit different. As well, I still think we'll get a very similar John Arbuckle, but this Garfield is definitely different and is presented a little bit differently. And you know, and maybe because you know the grumpiness isn't quite as there in this particular trailer, but there was like the whole "I've never jumped" thing. <laughs> that 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 to me was like, okay, there's the Garfield that I remember. So maybe there'll still be winks and nods to it, but it do- it also doesn't seem like. You know, they're going to be focused on that a whole lot, which they don't, again, they don't really need to. So we'll have to see what happens with Garfield this, not that, well, yeah, it is this coming summer, isn't it? Duh. So this coming summer is going to be released in theaters from Sony Pictures. Speaking of Sony, we also have Ghostbusters Frozen Empire. That trailer also dropped. 
and that one, again, going to be in 2024. It seems like everybody's releasing trailers without specific release dates, which, again, I think is smart. This one, though, I'll be honest, because you see, you know, it's summer in New York, and hottest summer ever, and then all of a sudden, you know, here comes the ice, and here comes the snow, and people are freezing to death in July, and, you know, people are being scared literally to death, and what's going on there? And, and this was one of those where I look at the trailer and I say, okay, there are, now we're overthinking it a little bit, right? Because you're trying to figure out how do I take a story to the next level, right? How do I do something that hasn't been done before? And again, to, to their credit, this is certainly something that maybe not completely breaking new ground, but it's different for Ghostbusters for sure, right? But this one, I don't know. There's something about this trailer that just didn't land as much for me. And maybe I just, I think the concept is, you know, how are you going to pull this off? Don't make it overly complicated. It's Ghostbusters, right? You know, are are they going to be able to make this make sense and still keep with the tone of what made that last movie so successful and what made Ghostbusters so so successful in the first place? I'm just worried that they're going to try and push it too far to make it feel to make it feel like oh well you know we're big boys we're grown up now you know we don't need to worry about you know this silly stuff and look what didn't work about Ghostbusters 2 the first time we're going to do it better and more serious this time just be be careful what you're doing here i know the movie's already made so there's nothing they can do about it but Ghostbusters Frozen Empire going to be coming in 2024 i i guess i don't know the whole frozen and summer aspect seems weird to me and the whole like scared to death thing also seems like okay really ah, i hope the other trailer is better I hope, I hope it gives a little bit clearer of a picture of what we're doing here i also want to talk about merry little batman since i was late releasing the show anyway i want to grab a couple of these trailers that came out you know earlier in the week and that's going to be coming out on december the 8th remember this is prime video not max because it was moved so this is the batman animated Christmas movie, basically, and, you know, Batman has to go off with the Justice League, so it kind of leaves Damien behind, and then something happens, the Joker decides he wants to steal Christmas, so Damien finds out after his dad gives him a a utility belt that there is a suit for him as well in the Batcave, so it's up to him now to stop the Joker, it's up to him to stop Bane and all the villains that would normally run amok in Gotham, but it is Damien's turn to try and stop them, and yes, we see Bruce comes back at some point, and they end up fighting alongside together. Again, this is another one of those where it's just going to be fun. The animation style is out there. No question about it. It is kind of similar to the, you know, Thundercats Roar animated style and Aquaman, you know, the the, the Aquaman animated series that they had not too long ago. It came out, and people complained about the animation style. Well, it's very similar animation style with this one, but again, this is one of those where you just got to look at it and go, you know what? It's just supposed to be fun. And that's what it is. And if you go to it with that perspective and understand, you know, this isn't necessarily, you know, your hardcore Batman story. Guess what? That's not what they're going for. So just, you know, sit back and enjoy it or not. If you want to skip this one, that's totally cool if it doesn't look like it's going to be for you. But we've got Luke Wilson in this thing, okay? If there's one reason to watch this thing, it's for the dad vibes of Luke Wilson once again, right? So he goes from being a dad on Stargirl to being a dad here in Merry Little Batman. Again, Prime Video, December the 8th. Enjoy it or not. I mean, if you want to go that route, just, you know, I just don't want to see a bunch of people bitching and complaining about this. He goes, oh, that's not Batman. Don't, don't be that person. Please 
Don't be that person. If you're going to be that person, please skip it. Let the rest of us enjoy it. I really wanted to get into this, too. I know it's like a week old, but I don't care. Legend of Zelda is going to get a live-action movie from Sony, and it's going to be directed by Wes Ball, who, of course, did the Maze Runner series, and he's also doing, if I remember correctly, the Planet of the Apes movies as well. So, it's going to, you know, so Wes Ball becoming very popular and becoming very involved in a lot of different things. Now, people are already speculating that Chris Pratt is going to get cast as Link because there's a connection there. Yeah, no, he's too old. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. And Nintendo's co-financing this thing, too, by the way. And there's going to there's gonna be a bunch of, you know, producers that have been part of Zelda for a bit as well. Yeah, this, this don't worry. This is not going to be one of those Chris Pratt type things. I actually even think Tom Holland is probably a little bit too old to play Link as well. I think this is going to be one of those ones where we're going to end up being surprised by this, and the reason Derek Connolly is going to be writing the script, writing the adaptation, and you know, if he he did Jurassic World, so that's where the whole Chris Pratt thing comes in. I wouldn't worry about Chris Pratt being a part of this at all. It just doesn't make sense in live action. If it was animated, yeah, I could see why you'd be worried that Chris Pratt was going to be the voice of Link. It's not going to happen. I and, and again, it's way too early to even speculate who could be playing Link at this point. But hey. You know, again, this is another one of those where do we absolutely need this? No, but we've done Mario several times, right? Why not? Let's take a crack at a live-action Zelda movie and just just see what happens. I mean, I I think they would should do Metroid as well. I think Metroid in live-action could be amazing, but give me Zelda first. Not gonna be mad at that. So yeah, let's go ahead and do that. Live-action version of the Legend of Zelda is gonna be coming soon. I don't think anytime soon. So I wouldn't worry about that. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy podcast. Yeah, thanks to Glenn Bazaar for joining me to talk about Beacon 23. So much great stuff happening at downandnerdypodcast.com. Follow along on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram, at downandnerdy on Facebook, and at downandnerdypod on TikTok. I need to do something completely different with our social medias because I'll, I'll even admit it's getting a little stale. So, yeah, I'm going to try and figure something out. Okay, and if you've got suggestions, feel free to send them to me there as well. Might have another show coming out in a few days, actually going to be talking about Monarch Legacy of Monsters. So be checking, looking out for that in the next few days. So you get maybe two episodes in the in, in, in within in less than a week. So that's what I'm going to try and do for you since I was late with this one. But remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.